there's nothing like the touch of Jesus. There's that song. We used to sing it. We could still sing it. It's a great song. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that fills my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me. He touched me. I want to talk to you today about the touch of Jesus. A lot of different kinds of touches, a lot of different kinds of experiences, and, but the touch of Jesus, there's nothing like it. I want to show you the different ways that the Lord touched people as we make our, our way towards Easter. Can you believe Easter's in two weeks? Can you believe that? I hope all of you have gotten somebody to invite. I want to encourage you to do it because you've got something everybody else needs. You've got something. You've got the gold. You've got the goods. You've got the bread. So just go to somebody. We've even got little things to hand out to you, for you to hand out to others. And they're at the connection point. Grab a fistful, give it to the, re- the, the waitress at the restaurant, restaurant, waitress at the restaurant. <laughs> going to be a long day. <laughs> give it to the waitress at the Westwant. Um, hand it out. Get it out there. Because people, listen, we're so aware when we have church on Sundays or at any time, it's a life and death thing. You, you can't believe how many people are hanging by a thread that walk in here and God touches them. It's life and death. And Easter, it's going to be life and death for some people. Some people are never going to hear the gospel again after Easter because they're not going to go to church again unless God touches them. So I pray that you get out there and you do it. But today I want to read to you a description of Jesus' ministry. It's in Acts 10. Starting at verse 36, and here's the way Jesus' ministry was described by Luke in the book of Acts. He says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, amen, is he not? That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now look at verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that's what we want in church, the Holy Spirit and power. Amen? His power. Because look what happens when the Holy Spirit and power are released. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that as we look at the touch of Jesus, as we're just headed towards Easter, as we look at the way his life uh, went down, the way his life was manifested, the way he reached and touched people, I pray that you'll help us to see that it wasn't just for them, but it's for now. And Lord, give us a move of the Holy Spirit and power. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Now, pray this, church. Pray with me and just say, Lord Jesus, today, change my life. Touch me with your power. Let me experience the touch of Jesus before I walk out those doors. In Jesus' name, amen. God heard that prayer. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer, and you can be seated. Amen. Now, last time we looked at who Jesus really was because there's so much confusion about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in our day, please understand that Jesus is under attack 
gospel is under attack. The Bible is under attack. And one of the ways that Jesus gets attacked is the marginalization of who he was. His, his person, his deity, and his work, and his uh, sacrifice on the cross are all marginalized by people who insist, for instance, he's not the only way. And, and they want to pluralize uh, the way to heaven, saying there's many ways when Jesus said, no, there's only one, and that way is me. So that was last week. This time I want to talk about the ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry, some of the different ways that he reached out and touched and transformed people from every walk of life. You did not encounter Jesus without being changed. You either went worse if you, if you turned against him, or if you went towards him, he transformed you for the better. You were never the same after encountering Jesus Christ. Not ever. Now, th- these passages that I just read bring out what the devil does to people. And I want to just juxtapose the, the devil with Jesus and show you a difference here. But notice what it says. Jesus went about everywhere doing good. What did he do? What was the good he did? He healed those who were oppressed by the devil. Now that gives us a little glimpse into what the devil does. The word oppressed is, is a tough word. It's a hard word. It means to bring somebody down, to tyrannize, to overpower, to treat harshly. The devil is a tyrant. He tyrannizes. He oppresses. He brings people down. And I'm not talking about just bringing your mood down. I mean, he takes your life down to destroy it. Jesus went about everywhere, healing those who were being tyrannized, brought down, overpowered by, and treated harshly by the devil. The devil hates you. The devil is a real being. He's not an idea. He's not a a myth or a fable. He's not a a figment of somebody's imagination. The devil is a real person. Jesus said he was a real person who came to kill, steal, and destroy. He's a real being that has fallen. We can't see him, but we can see what he does. We can't see God, but we can see what he does. You can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. So the devil is a real person and he hates you, and he hates me, he hates God's creation, and he hates God with every atom of his evil being. Now, Jesus and the devil are, are compared, really, in the verses we read. The devil is a spiritual being who, who uh, cruelly oppresses with harsh treatment people. The devil hates you. There's not one good thing in him. He is a He is an evil being. He is consummately wicked. There's not one good thing he will ever do for you or for me. Everything he does is to destroy. How do you know he's lying if he's talking? He's the father of lies. He's the spawner of lies. If you tell a lie, you're being devil-like. If I tell a lie, I'm being devil-like. Because Satan lies. Now, Jesus Christ, on the other hand, made it his life's business to go around undoing and destroying Satan's works and setting the captives free. That was Jesus. He went everywhere doing good and undoing what Satan was doing in the lives of people. He destroyed satanic assignments. He brought the devil out of people. 
He went undoing Satan's works. That was his life. That was his life's business. That's what he was about. If you want to know what Jesus was doing any given day, you could know that he was out there destroying the devil's works. And this fulfilled a promise that God made to the human race way back in Genesis 3.15, right on the heels of Adam and Eve's fall. As soon as they had fallen and God had judged uh, Adam and God had judged Eve, now he turns to the devil and he says to the devil, I'm going to put enmity, that means open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, that is your offspring and her seed, he will fatally bruise your head. Notice he is capital H talking about Jesus. He will fatally bruise your head and you will only bruise his heel. Satan bruised Jesus' heel when he was nailed to the cross that day. This prophecy way back in the ancient Garden of Eden was fulfilled when the nail was put through Jesus' heel. Then it was fulfilled that the devil would bruise his heel, and he did. But it was also fulfilled that when the innocent blood of Jesus was shed and ran down that old rugged tree, it disarmed the devil. It gave him a fatal blow to his head. It took away from him death, hell, and the grave. We could say it defanged him. He, he's a dog on a leash. Amen? Now, how does Jesus and how did he heal the oppressed? How many of you can say, before I knew Jesus, I was definitely oppressed? Amen? Uh, under the tyranny of sin, doing things you didn't understand, so on and so forth. Now, we know from the Bible's declarations and descriptions of his ministry that you couldn't put Jesus in a box. You couldn't do it. You never knew how he was going to do whatever he was going to do. He healed different people with different issues in different ways. One blind man, he just spit and put it in his eye. Another blind man, he spit in the ground and made mud and stuck that in his eye. Every way that he healed, every way that he delivered, he did it differently. He was always moving the way God told him to. He said, whatever I see the Father doing, that's the way I do it. And he flowed in the Holy Spirit. Now, in the physical realm, we know that he healed the oppressed by opening blind eyes. He cleansed terminal lepers. He raised the dead and he healed the sick from all kinds and every manner of disease. The Bible says he healed every manner of disease. There was not one sickness Jesus didn't heal. He was undoing the works of the devil. That lets us know sickness is not from God. It's the work of the devil. In the spiritual realm, he delivered people by casting tormenting demons out of them. He gave hope to the hopeless. He gave joy to the sorrowful. He gave encouragement to the discouraged. He healed the brokenhearted, bound up their broken, bleeding heart. He brought acceptance to the rejected and salvation to the lost. He healed you, touched you on the inside where people bleed as much as they do on the outside. Every realm of man's existence, body, soul, and spirit, Jesus touched. He touched. He touched us at the point of our need. And following the touch of Jesus' power, you find all kinds of reactions in the Bible. People were left amazed, weeping, shouting, rejoicing, praising, leaping, and thanking him. Now, I want to look at some of the unique ways that Jesus touched others. There's lots of ways he did, but I want to pull out a few 
that I really felt like the Holy Spirit put on my heart for us today. Let me talk to you about some of the ways that Jesus healed people, the way he touched people, the way he touched them, the touch of Jesus. There were different kinds of touches. Now, the first one I want to talk about is his cleansing touch, his cleansing touch. One day, a woman was caught in the very act of adultery by some Pharisees and Sadducees, and they took her and they brought her before Jesus. The Bible says they made her stand before the group, an entire crowd of people gathered there around Jesus, and here comes this woman being thrust into the midst of them. And it says, they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I've always wondered, where was the man? He skated. But now watch this. They made her stand in front of the whole crowd. They're religious people. You know, nobody will cut you up like religious people. Boy, they'll cut you up in the name of God. In the name of the Lord, they'll cut you up. But I want you to notice the difference between Jesus and these religious people. These religious people shamed her. They condemned her. They humiliated her. They made her stand right there in front of the teacher, the man, the holy man of the hour, the Son of God, Jesus, stood her right in front of him. When he looked at you, God was looking at you, and they shamed her, condemned her. All she could do is stand there and take it. And they said, they said, they quoted Moses, and the law of Moses had said if anybody was caught in the act of adultery that way, they should be stoned to death. And they said to Jesus to trap him, they said, what do you say? The, Moses said... She should be stoned to death. What do you say? Now, here stands this woman. She's standing there, and she's thinking, is this the last day of my life, the last hour of my life? Am I about to be stoned to death? Am I I about to go out this way? My whole future depends on what he says. Jesus just knelt. Now, I love the Lord. I love the way he did things. You never knew what he was going to do. Instead of going, well, now, let's talk about this. He just kneels down and starts drawing in the sand. We don't know what he drew. Some people think he was drawing the Ten Commandments. We don't know. But then he stands up and he says, okay, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He that is without sin, you be the first. They're all standing there holding rocks, ready for him to say, you're right, Moses said it, go for it. But no, he says, if you haven't sinned, you throw the first one. You began to hear rocks drop and strike the ground, one after another, after another, after another, while she just stands there. They all began to walk away. After which Jesus looked at the woman and said, woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? Has nobody condemned you? And she replied, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Can we just thank the Lord for his mercy today? Amen. Can we thank the Lord for his mercy? Now, now I want you to see something here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, listen to me, church. When he said, neither do I condemn you, it was a cleansing word for her. It was the touch. It was the cleansing touch 
of Jesus. Because when he said, neither do I condemn you, it washed away her guilt and shame because he was God. And God was saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Your sin is washed away. And she walked away, not only forgiven, but on the inside, his word had cleansed away, washed away her sin and guilt and shame. They shamed her being religious, but he forgave her being Jesus. Amen? So there, there is the cleansing touch of Jesus. How many of you are so thankful for the cleansing touch of Jesus Christ? The cleansing touch. He gives a cleansing touch. King David knew exactly where inner cleansing came from after he himself had committed adultery He prayed, oh, wash me thoroughly, God, from my iniquity. And watch this, cleanse me from my sin. Jesus claimed that his very word brought cleansing. He said, you're already clean. You're already clean. How? Because of the word which I spoke to you. That's why I love getting in the the Bible every morning. I love getting in the word of God every morning because it's not only a faith-building word. It's not only a guiding word, but it's a cleansing word. It's a washing. It washes you. It cleanses you. Paul talked about the cleansing that salvation brings, and we get salvation from Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you were washed. Same word as cleansed. You were washed. You were washed. Does that mean they went and took a bath? No. It means the blood of Jesus washed away, cleansed away their sin, washed it away. But you were sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus and in the spirit of our God. And the apostle John, in one of the most worn out verses in my Bible, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what, everybody? Forgive. Say it again. Forgive. And then to do what? Read it with me. And to cleanse us. Now, notice it makes a difference between forgiving and cleansing. Because once you're forgiven, then the blood cleanses. It washes it all. Not only are you forgiven, but your sin is washed away completely as if it never happened. It's washed away. We live in a culture that is extremely guilty because we have turned away from God. And I watch people. I've pastored a long time. I, I've been in life a while. Let me tell you something. People try to ignore guilt. I see it all the time. Just ignore it. Just keep on trucking, keep on going to work, going home, paying the bills, making the money, raising the kids. But all the while they carry guilt around because God has hardwired us with his law on the inside of us. And we know when we're breaking his law and we get covered with guilt. So people try to ignore it, though. They just try to ignore it or deny it. And then there's many, 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 many people who try to numb guilt. Why is there such a drug problem? Why are so many people addicted now to alcohol? Why? Because they're trying to numb guilt away. Only problem is you come down. And when you come down, the guilt is still talking. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving until you handle it right. We try to just live with guilt. People just try to live with it. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, no, no, none of those things. Ignoring it, denying it, just trying to live with it, numbing it. None of those things work. Let me cleanse your guilt away. Let me cleanse you. Let me wash you and cleanse you. That's the cleansing touch of Jesus. Can we give him a hand for that today? Amen. Isn't it good to know that when you mess up, and I think most of us have messed up since 2019 began, 
How many of you had to repent sometime this week? I did. Come on, tell the truth. Don't look at me with that holy look. Some of you had to repent before you walked in the door. You had to spat all the way to church. And you get out of your door, out of your car, and you see a greeter. And it's, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. So good to see you, brother. We, we need the forgiveness of God all the time, don't we? And isn't it good to know that we've got a cleansing Savior, a, a, a cleansing Savior. He washes our sins away. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, he buries them in the deepest bottom of the sea, never to bring them up again. God has divine amnesia. He doesn't remember them anymore. You say, God, about your sin, well, you remember that, Lord. He says, no, I really don't. Well, you know, when I this and that, yeah, but I, I just, I don't really remember that. It's the devil that remembers it and the devil that reminds you of it. But God doesn't remind you of it. God reminds you of the power of his blood, not what you did. Amen. So say with me, the cleansing touch. But then I see the compassionate touch of Jesus. Oh, the compassionate touch. Let me, just, let me just show you something. Over and over again, if you read the Gospels and, and just with a little marker, you read the Gospels, you're going to see over and over again repeatedly that Jesus was moved with compassion towards the suffering. He was moved with compassion and did this, moved with compassion and did that. He was a compassionate Savior. And he brought a compassionate touch, a compassionate touch. When approached by two blind men, Matthew records Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Can you imagine being blind and the first thing you see when you see is Jesus? (laughs) Wow, what an incredible sight. First thing you see is Jesus. And then again, Matthew tells us when he saw the crowds following him, and they were hungry, and they were tired, but they were so hungry to hear his word. They wanted to hear his word. He, he, had, he had rung their bell. He, he, listen, he was, he was scratching their itch. He was telling them things nobody ever told them. And he it says he had compassion on them when he saw the crowds. Look, look why. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who harassed them? We're told at the very beginning, the devil tyrannizes, harasses, beats you down, tears you up, seeks to destroy you. And this crowd following Jesus, he looked and he said, oh man, they're they're so harassed by the enemy and they're so helpless. They're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. They're just wandering around, not knowing where to go or where to land or what to do. And they're open prey for the wolves. And so I have compassion on them. One of my favorite stories is the Bible says one day Jesus was traveling to a town called Nain, N-A-I-N, Nain. And the Bible says as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out. So he walks up on a funeral procession and there's a dead man being carried out. And we know that it was a young man because later, a couple of verses from now, it tells us so. He was a young man. Don't know what killed him, but he was taken out early. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, so he was her source of income and strength, and she was all he had. That's the idea here. This boy was all she had, and he dies. 
And she is ripped up, torn up. She can't believe this has happened. And he's being carried out. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Everybody mourning and crying and playing the violins and all they did. When the Lord saw her, look what it says. He felt compassion for her. He felt compassion for her. Everybody say he felt compassion. Notice our Jesus. Notice he didn't say, well, he probably sinned and that's why he died young. Notice he didn't say, well, tough luck. Life is tough and then you die. He didn't say that, did he? It says he looked at this woman. He looked at the boy, the, the young man. But then he looked at the mother. And, and, he, and he had compassion on the mother. He saw her pain. He saw her plight. He saw her struggle. He saw her heartbreak. He saw her loss. And he sees your plight, your heartbreak, your loss. He sees it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you're hurting, look how he spotted the the hurting one. The whole crowd seemed to pass by him, but he homes in on the hurting one, the brokenhearted one. And he came up and he touched the coffin. There's the touch of Jesus. He always ruined good funerals. He's about to ruin a good funeral. Because Jesus couldn't walk up on a funeral without messing it up and raising the dead. That's just Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. But notice the touch. He touched the coffin. Now, the, the bearers of the coffin, you know, the, the pallbearers, all the friends of the young man, no doubt, all, came to a halt because all of a sudden here's Jesus coming out of the blue, just stepping into this funeral uninvited, and he touches the coffin. And then he said something bizarre. Young man. I say to you, arise. Now, don't you know that for that microsecond, everybody looked at him like he was crazy because this boy was dead. But then it says in verse 15, the dead man sat up and started talking. Woo. There's a lot of people fainted right on the spot. Don't you know that his buddies that were helping carry this coffin, some of them ran? There's something weird. We thought, I mean, look, I've done a lot of funerals. If somebody got up out of the car, I might faint. But the dead man sat up and began to speak. I give anything to know what he was saying. And look what Jesus did. Jesus, the compassionate, when he gave him back to his mother, he said, here, Mom. Here's your boy. Here, boy, here's your mother. And Jesus brought healing because he was compassionate. Can you imagine the emotion that erupted from this brokenhearted mother seeing her son alive again? She had received the compassionate touch of Jesus. And when you follow his ministry, that's one of his touches. He he touched with compassion. He touched with cleansing. Some people are driven by judgmentalism. I don't like going on vacation with them. Some people are driven by cruelty. Others by apathy. Some are driven by hatred. But Jesus was moved with compassion. Hallelujah. Isn't he a wonderful Savior? Come on, give him praise. Amen. So everybody say his cleansing touch. His compassionate touch. And let me move along. There was his quieting touch. I love this one. His quieting touch. When you compare Satan and Jesus, you see that anywhere Satan goes, anywhere, you see satanic activity, you see satanic attack. 
It always brings chaos, tumult, storms, unrest, pain, confusion, fear, torment, grief. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see where Satan has been. Because where Satan has been, he leaves a hoof print. He leaves a hoof print. It's pain. It's regret. It's tragedy. It's suffering. You name it. That's the footprint of Satan. But when you follow Jesus around, you see something completely and totally different. He was moved with compassion, and he brought rest and healing and peace and trust and joy and, my favorite word, quiet. How many of you, the older you get, the more you like quiet? But not just quiet out here as in no noise, but peace in here, quiet calm, serene. He brings a quieting touch. He quiets our fears. He calms our emotions. He brings peace, even though we're surrounded by a storm. There's peace when there's a storm raging around, yet he brings quiet to your soul. He brings a quieting touch. We all know the story. One day Jesus said to his disciples, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. They get into a boat at the command of Jesus. He gets in it. He gets in the helm of the boat, and quickly he goes to sleep. They're going across the sea. All is good. All is well. We're following Jesus. Aren't things neat? He's healing. He's raising the dead. He's multiplying fishes and loaves, and he's the miracle worker. We're following the hottest ticket in town. They're halfway across the sea, and suddenly out of nowhere comes a raging, roaring, howling, threatening storm. Bang! Out of nowhere. The wind howled. The waves were crashing against their boat and filling it with water. The Bible says filling it with water quickly. The disciples were filled with panic and fear. The whole scene was a scene of chaos. Suddenly, peace turned to a storm, and that's the way it works in life. Everything is good until you get that phone call. Everything is good until somebody says something to you that puts you sideways. And suddenly you're in a storm of emotions, a storm of hurt, a storm of pain. But the Bible says he, Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And I want you to notice that he said, quiet, be quiet, be quiet quiet. That's what Jesus does with storms. He says, be quiet. Stop it. Stop your raging. Stop your howling. Stop your rolling. Stop the wave. You wave. Stop rolling. Leave them alone. Quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. It was the quieting touch of Jesus, and the disciples looked at each other and said, whoa, who are we following? Even the winds and the sea obey him. That's the question Jesus wanted them to ask. He said, that's a good question, guys. Now let me tell you, I'm God, boo. (laughs) How many times in my own life I've been in a storm and Jesus has spoken quiet to me, just quiet. I mean, in a storm, storm of worry, storm of fear, storm of pressure, storm of stress, storm of whatever. And Jesus has suddenly spoken peace to me. And and right as the storm is raging around me, it's not affecting me at all because the peace that passes all understanding has replaced the storm in my soul. 
He brings the quieting touch. Everybody say the quieting touch. So say with me the cleansing touch, compassionate touch, quieting touch. There's one more. His saving touch. Jesus alone can save us. That's it. There is salvation. Look at how the Bible puts it. No apologies, no nothing. Here's the exclusivity of Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, period. Under all heaven, there is no other name for men to call upon to save them. Now, the word save there means this, to deliver out of danger. To deliver out of danger. That's the Greek word, to deliver out of danger and bring into a place of safety. To deliver from danger and put into a place of safety. And it's referring mainly to being saved from sin's power and from sin's consequences. When Jesus saves, he removes us from the danger of sin's power and the danger of sin's consequences, and he puts us in a place of safety. Only Jesus can save us. Think back to the storm at sea we just talked about with the disciples. Is it not true that if Jesus had not been in the boat with them, they would have perished? Yes, it's true. Because the storm would have destroyed them. These were experienced fishermen. And they knew a bad storm when they saw one. So when they said, save us, Lord, we perish, they were not just embellishing the situation. They were about to perish in this storm. Their lives were in genuine jeopardy in the natural. So the wind was tipping the boat over. The waves were sinking it. Left to themselves, they were totally helpless. But when they called on Jesus, listen, he saved them from destruction and delivered them to a place of safety. Listen, only the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the blood of Jesus can deliver us from the winds and waves of sin that threaten to destroy our lives and carry us into hell. Only the blood... Only the name, only Jesus. Say with me, only Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. I know. I know. In jail as a 16-year-old boy, I can say with David, I was in a horrible pit. I was in miry clay, sinking, quicksand, sinking. No future, no life. Headed to prison, maybe. I didn't go, but I could have. Not knowing where to go, knowing no God, knowing no nothing, utterly helpless. The winds and the waves of sin and destruction and Satan were beating against the ship of my life each and every hour of every day. And then I heard about Jesus. I heard about Jesus. I didn't hear about Buddha. I didn't hear about Krishna. I didn't hear about Muhammad. I heard about Jesus. And when I heard about Jesus, I said, Jesus, help me. It was not an extravagant prayer. It was a real prayer. Help me, Jesus. Come into my heart. And he saved me. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. He brought me out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on a rock like the psalmist said. And he put a new song in my mouth. Come on, everybody. He saves us. So say with me, the Jesus touch brings cleansing from sin. Compassion in our struggles quiet in our storms, salvation from eternal destruction. If you're thankful for that, let's stand and give him a hand of praise today. Come on.
Come on, let's praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Bless him. Bless him in the house of God. Thank you, Lord. The touch of Jesus. Have you been touched by Jesus? Have you been touched by Jesus? Has everybody here been touched by Jesus? You've been touched by Jesus. If you know it, if you have been, you'll know it. And can you believe that this amazing, incredible, life-giving Jesus, they will soon crucify. And we'll see next week. They're going to take this incredible person and they're going to hang him on a cross. What? It was the eternal plan of God so that we could be saved. Can we just go to him right now? Jesus, thank you for the goodness of God. Thank you for the goodness of God. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness. Bless your holy name. Lord, I pray if anyone here doesn't know you, Lord, I pray you will touch their hearts today. And bring them to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.